Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Let's welcome Reverend Bobby Kilman. Well, good morning. I uh, appreciate so much uh, all of you showing out, uh, even in the cold weather. Lord have mercy. Uh, I'm going to, if you'll open your Bibles, I'm going to go uh, to two passages of Scripture uh, before we uh, get too far into this. I'll let you start turning there. We'll go to Numbers uh, chapter 6. <clears throat> Then we'll flip into the New Testament, read one verse of Scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Now, I, I love talking about the Word of God, so I'm going to try my best to uh, stay on task, and uh, I'm going to get a little animated. That's my tendency. I'm going to try to slow down, Brother Marty, because my mother-in-law's here, and if I don't try that, I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, I'll at least get the reminder from Sister Mac. And uh, I, I will do my best. I love the Word of God. How many of you love the Word of God? And uh, it, it, it is uh, this book that gives us everything that we need to know about life. The power of God's Spirit gives us uh, the capacity to walk in that understanding and illuminates that understanding to us. But it is, in fact, the Word of God that gives us everything we need to know about life. How many of you are glad that the Lord didn't leave us directionless? Amen, amen. So I want to give, uh, do three little sessions today, and I'm going to try my best to be clear and concise. Uh, and I wanted to talk about Jesus' name baptism. I, I gave uh, a few topics that I thought would be good. They selected this one, and inside I was like, yes, uh, because I love talking about what it means uh, to be baptized. Now, why is that important? Uh, because if you're not careful, uh, just with the passing of the generations, you can lose truth. Uh, you can lose a critical understanding from one generation to the next simply because, uh, uh, Brother Rich, people don't always intentionally pass truth. They just assume, well, why would you teach on baptism? Everybody knows baptism. But there are new people coming into the church all the time. And uh, there are people that are saved that... Uh, Brother Scott, need to have their faith moored in the understanding of God's word so that they can defend their faith and understand in depth their faith. And uh, there's a beauty that comes with that. Uh, uh, Brother Armado, that uh, the Lord uh, helps us to walk in, and, and old-timers used to say it this way, it gets sweeter, uh, Brother Ivan, as the days go by. And, and that's right, our understanding gets richer and deeper. So let's talk about what I'm going to call invoking uh, the name of the Lord. Now, now, what does that mean? I'm going to go to a, uh, a passage. Maybe you're right, Brother Micah. You may have to help me back there advance. Uh, I'm going to go to Numbers 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 22 through 27. We're going to look at the biblical concept of invoking or calling the name of God over uh, people, uh, places, uh, and things. And, and why do that? Because uh, is it just a line distinction? Is it just 
a way for us to define ourselves against what other churches do or what other people do? Is it just some type of distinction that way? Why is it so important? Or to ask it maybe more particularly, uh, Brother Mike, what happens at baptism? When somebody comes to the uh, front of Calvary Tabernacle and they, they make a profession of faith and they repent of their sins, what happens when they're baptized uh, in Jesus' name? And, and to put it biblically, it's what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? All right, so let's look at number six, because sometimes we can think, Brother Herbs, that uh, everything we do is uh, started in the New Testament. Why even pay attention to the Old Testament? I try not to have a nervous breakdown when people talk like that, uh, because it's, it's 75% of the revelation of God. And uh, Paul says in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus could not come until uh, that particular moment in time where you could understand who he is. So when John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, what does that mean? You need the entire Old Testament paradigm and picture uh, to get what that means. So let's go to Numbers chapter 6. This is that wonderful priestly benediction. Uh, and it, I'll, I'll try not to get stuck too much on this. Uh, 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 but it's hard. Hallelujah. It's the word of God. Uh, so verse 22, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, now, if you'll notice, uh, if you have a King James Bible in front of you, uh, that LORD is in all caps. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. I just want you to observe that for a second, and we'll talk about it uh, in just a little bit more, uh, just here in a few seconds. Said unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons. Who is Aaron and his sons? What does that mean? What do you think? They're like, Brother Kilman, we come to hear you talk. Oh, let's do interaction. Why not? We got coffee. Brother Faulkner, it's a good, good day. Hallelujah. So uh, what, what is, who is he speaking to? Why Aaron and his sons? That's a, who said it? Yes, ma'am, that's right. It's the Levites. It's the Old Testament priesthood. It's the ministers of God in the Old Testament. So this is a prescription to the priesthood of the Old Testament. He's saying, on this wise, uh, in the Hebrew, you could translate it in this exact way. Ye, plural, all of you ministers shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them. How many of you want the blessings of God? And then it says, the Lord uh, bless thee and keep thee. Now notice that's singular, because thee is singular. Uh, and, and that's the way the King James is tipping you off. But in the Hebrew, the ministers, it speaks ye, all of the ministers, every minister needs to bless the children of Israel in this particular way. Try not to get stuck, Jesus, help me. All right, and it says the Lord, and, and you notice that's all caps. That's the name of God in the Old Testament. And it's calling that name over them. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Now that's shalom in the Hebrew. That's not like just an inner tranquility. It includes that, but it's about your whole life being marked by the peace of God, your family, your marriage, the context of how you interact with your society. All of that is blessed by the direction of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Because when you get righteousness, you have the capacity to have peace with yourself, with others, and with God. Right? And, and he says, and, and then this wonderful little last verse here, and they shall what? 
put my name upon the children of Israel. And because of this, God says, I will bless them. And that's where we get uh, a baptism uh, in the New Testament. Now, now, what does that mean? It means to call the name of God uh, over people, places, and things. So this is not just a New Testament thing. This is an Old Testament thing as well. All right, so let's look at it. In the Old Testament, uh, when you would call or invoke the name of the Lord, that covenant name of God. Now, covenant is a, uh, in, in my estimation, if my reading of the Bible, Sister House, uh, uh, how, it is the most important concept in the Bible, covenant. That is your relationship with God. It's a relationship of a certain kind. And I'll leave that for Brother Herbst to do sometime. Hallelujah. But the covenant name of God is tied to that interaction. When you get married, they're going to take on your name. Right? If you're a male, they're going to take on your name. And and if they're not willing to take on your name to get into covenant, to swear that loyalty of a certain kind, you're not going to get in covenant with them. If I had said to my wife, uh, uh, Sister Alicia, I, I want to marry you, Amy, but uh, uh, can I date girls on the weekend? I'm pretty sure 25 years ago, that sweet little lady back there would have said, I don't think I'm getting in covenant with you. Because it's exclusive loyalty but uh, marked by a name. And in the Old Testament, it's written uh, with four Hebrew consonants right there, yod Hey, vav Hey, And depending how you get it into English, you could uh, pronounce it either Jehovah or Yahweh. Now, now, what does that mean, Brother Kilman? Uh, Sister Sheila, give me that next slide. Uh, it's used as early as Genesis chapter 2, verse 27. And you can see that where the Bible says, And the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there's many people, liberals today, Brother Ridge, that will try to say that this is a, a new name. It's not really way back in, there probably wasn't even a Moses. But our, both archaeology now and uh, the scripture show that this is an ancient name. It's used all the way back into uh, Genesis chapter 2. And so that is the covenant name of God. Now, why spend a lot of time on that, Brother Kilman? Because I'm going to give you this next phrase, and this is what we have to try to make sense of. It is a Hebrew phrase Lakrobashim uh, Yahweh. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's just Hebrew. Just words, Lakrobashim Yahweh. It's often translated this way to call on the name of the Lord. And that's right, that's the literal rendition. So uh, what, what you have there uh, is a, a literal rendition of that word. If you can give me that next uh, prompt. But it can have a technical meaning. As a matter of fact, when the uh, King James translators, Brother Herbst, translated in 1611, they, they have a, a side note, and they, they show that this is a Hebrew idiom. Now, what's a Hebrew idiom? I, not an idiot. <laughs> what's a Hebrew idiom? What's an idiom? Wow, they're silent this morning. Like, what you're still trying to thaw out, Brother Kilman? What, what is a Hebrew idiom? What is an idiom? Got any English teachers in here? English majors? Okay. Yeah, who said it? Yes, sir. Uh, so it's raining cats and dogs. Now, what does that mean? It means it's raining really hard. What do cats and dogs have to do with it? How many of you say, I've heard that saying before? So you know the meaning, even though you don't know its origin, right? 
That's the way language sometimes work. It, it, it comes from uh, over in Europe when they had these low-hanging roofs and the cats and the dogs would get up there and sun themselves and then it would start to rain and, and, and it would wash down and they would jump off. It's raining so hard that it's making the cats and dogs jump off the roof. Brother Mike, so it's raining cats and dogs. Now, what does, that, what does that have to do with anything? You get the same type of language function in the Bible. And when it says to call on the name of the Lord, the King James translators and Jewish people will acknowledge this as well. Uh, I was just here to qualify it too much to uh, show you all the sources. Come see me if you want more sources on that. But it, it says to, uh, it has the technical meaning to pronounce the name of the Lord over an individual or group. I'm just gonna tell you that's the significance of baptism in the New Testament. All right, so let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 26. And what you'll find is it's called uh, first over the godly line of Seth. You have this uh, development. You have an uh, ungodly uh, son leaving, and we're going to look at that, uh, the presence of the Lord. And then you have this godly line of Seth. And the Bible says, and to Seth... To him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. And then it has, then begin men to call upon the name of the Lord, or to have the name of the Lord called over them in covenant. I'll give you another example of this. Not only was it called over the godly line of Seth, it was called over uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. The Bible says, and the Lord. Now now notice, uh, give me that next slide, uh, sister. Uh, if you notice in your Bible, if you have uh, a translation that does this, again, it's all caps showing you that this is the covenant name of God. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and what? L'Krobashim Yahweh. Proclaim the name of the Lord over Moses. Now, deep primitive Niles, now I'm going to quote a lot of people that are not apostolic. Why? Because when you're sharing your faith sometimes with a friend who comes maybe from a different tradition or is a, 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 an unbeliever, uh, Brother Sleeve, it's always helpful to use people that are not apostolic that show that what we've been teaching as apostolics is true. What our preachers have been preaching for years, I'll just be trying to say it as nice as I can today. Uh, cutting edge theology is finally catching up with what our preachers have been teaching and preaching for years. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a good day to be an apostolic. So D. Primnan Niles is one of the most respected Old Testament scholars uh, in, in all the major uh, seminaries and uh, uh, campuses across America that take the Bible at least a little seriously. And, and when, I, when you look at that, he says this is the most important text of the Old Testament. Now, I might argue that a little bit, but he's saying it's incredibly important. Why? He says, because in this act, you see God taking the people of Israel as his. He says, and the Lord passed by him, the Bible says, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant uh, in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and, uh, and sin, and that will by no means clear uh, the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third uh, and to the fourth generation. And he's saying, if you really want to be in relationship, I want to be in relationship with you. If you really want forgiveness, then I want to forgive you. And it's linked to having the name of God called over you. All right, so uh, give me that next one. Now, here's what's staggering. Not only do you get that over Israel, you get it prophesied about the Gentiles. Now, 
I know we're so used. We are so used to being in the church. How, how many? And do we have any Jewish people here? We're Jewish ancestry at all? Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't assume we would or, or not. Uh, oh yes, uh, brother Hauk. Uh, so one, one one person. Hallelujah. Okay, the rest of us are Gentiles, <laughs> and that's that means that we were not accounted as the people of God. So what you have to know about the Gentiles is the Hebrew word is a goyim. Turn to your neighbor and say goyim. Yes, we are. Hallelujah. So we're the goyim. Now, what does that mean, Brother Sleva? I, I had a mentor tell me one time about this bumper sticker. Now, if you go up north uh, here a little ways to up by Bethel Zadok, uh, Rabbi Sasso, I think he's still the rabbi there. If you go around his congregation, occasionally you will find this bumper sticker. He's right. And it says uh, they'll have something like goyim annoying. And it's insider Jewish humor because nobody gets it unless you know a little bit of Hebrew. And what that means is that goyim, which is heathen, or im, the emphasis is like heathen to the most. You annoy me to the most. I'm like beeping the horn at him. Hey, you know. <laughs> and so uh, uh, when you're looking at that, the, the Jewish conscious uh, understands that when you look at Romans chapter one, uh, Brother Marty, the, the Gentiles create a society that uh, in their obedience, the fabric of their living spills out and creates chaos. Because when you don't know the Lord, that's Romans 1. It talks about the sins that flow out of, out of that. You can try, even with the best of intentions, Brother Hauk, you can try to bless. But when you are operating in discontinuity with the way that God built the world, there's no way to bless a family. There's no way to bless society because you're tripping along, trying to do it on your own, and you need direction, direction that comes from a God who loves and graciously empowers you to walk in covenant. And when you get covenant obedience, it blesses all of life. Again, shalom, peace. But that's tied to having the name of God called over you. And so uh, the Jewish people were like, okay, we believe in that. And, and look at what Amos says. In that day, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise uh, up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Oh, you mean Esau's descendants and the Edomites? Okay, okay, okay. We'll take those, I guess, uh, Brother Mass. But, uh, and all the goyim, which are what? Now that staggered Jewish sensibilities. You mean there's going to come a time when Gentile people are the name-called covenant people? You mean they're going to belong to God just like we belong to God? That staggered Jewish sensibility. So what did it mean to be called by the name of the Lord? Uh, Sister uh, Sheila, can you help me there? Thank you, ma'am. Well, there's at least three aspects of the power of the name of the Lord that we should uh, look at. The first one is simply this, ownership. So when you look in the Bible, the scripture shows to name something was to own something. So uh, for instance, when Joab is in, in a battle and he's about to win a battle, he's David's uh, commander in chief. He's the general of the army. Uh, he is the, uh, uh, he's about to win a, a battle. He calls David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. He says, you need to come because I'm about to win the battle. Why, Brother Marty? Because he says, if I win the battle and I take the city, uh, there's a problem. It's going to be called by my name. Why? Because I'm the one that conquered it and took control of it. 
So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, we can see where the city of waters or the stronghold of Zion becomes the city of David. Why? Because to have something and own it uh, is to also, Brother Denny, to have that called by your name. So the, uh, I'm trying to behave. So uh, if, we, if we heard something, somebody come down, wow, it's terrible. There's a car being broken to in the parking lot. And we would say, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's so terrible. Can you believe it? Unless it's your car. You're going to be like, run upstairs real quick, Brother Mario. I'm going to call the cops. Why? Because it's yours. Because it belongs to you. And when you belong, now I'm trying, I'll try not to slip into preaching today. But when you belong to God, you don't think that he, he, he does care about his possession, right? He does, he is invested in what belongs to him. And if you are the name called people, you can say, my life belongs to God. My marriage belongs to God. My little family belongs to God. His name's on this. That's what it means to be called by his name. And you can see uh, where it's called over his people in Exodus uh, chapter 19 and verse 20. It's called not only over Moses, but over all of Israel. Now, we won't get stuck here, but there's something in the, uh, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern times, uh, Brother Ivan, when the Old Testament was being re- written, called a suzerainty treaty. Now, what in the world does that mean? Suzerain just means high king. And that high king treaty, uh, Brother Faulkner, is where you would pledge loyalty to the high king because you have an enemy coming in attacking your land And you can't deal with that enemy. How many of you know you couldn't deal with your enemy? (laughs) And here's what you would say. You would reach out to someone higher than you, someone stronger than you, and you would say, I will pledge loyalty as a vassal. I know I'm a king and I'm self-ruling my own little empire, but I can't deal with the threats coming against me, so I will let you be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And I will enter into a relationship with you. And and the Ten Commandments lay out that type of ancient Near Eastern uh, high king treaty. And in that act of loyalty, Brother Herbst, they become his people. When you swear loyalty, you become his people. Now, what does that mean? If you want to belong to God, you really have to say, I'm going to pledge loyalty. See, now what that means is that's why it's repentance first. That's why you can't just go get wet in the water. You got to be willing to say, God, I'm, I know I can't, I can't govern my own life. I can't govern my own family. I know I need your help. I'm ready to repent today. Whatever needs to go, you're the king. Whatever needs to come into my life, you're the king. And when you pledge that kind of loyalty and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, that's when you become his. So it's also over sacred places. Now, I told you I'd try not to preach, but it's just hard. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 and 11. It says, uh, but unto that place, which uh, again, the Lord, all caps, the name of God, your God shall choose out of all of your tribes to what? Put his name there. Even unto his habitation shall you seek and thither thou shalt come. So every sacrifice... Every bit of worship, every bit of sacred activity has to come to the place called by his name. It's his church. It's his, you ready? It becomes his tabernacle and his temple, uh, Brother Stephen, because it's called by his name. Now, if it ain't called by his name, doesn't matter what kind of activities you're doing there, you are not in a covenant relationship. 
Okay, so that's strong. Then he goes on to say, then shall thou uh, be a place uh, which the Lord, again, the name of God, shall choose to call his name to dwell there. Thither shall uh, ye bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings uh, your, uh, of your hand, and all of the choice vows which ye bow unto the Lord. And it means uh, it becomes the Lord's temple because it's called by his name. But again, catch that. Uh, Brother Ridge, it's ownership. All of the worship belongs to him exclusively. And, and, and he owns it. Second aspect of the name is redemption. Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 says, uh, I am the Lord thy God. Oh, I wish I had time, Jesus. Which had brought thee out of the land of Egypt, uh, out of the house of bondage. Now, what does that mean? Uh, uh, that Pronouncing the name of the Lord over Israel as they came out of Egypt was linked to their forgiveness. So in covenant, they become uh, his peculiar people. Now, I always wondered what that meant as a kid, peculiar. I thought, I've met some peculiar people. But what does that mean? It means it's, it's um, literally uh, my special purchase treasure. It means something like this. Of all of the people in the earth, or the house, uh, there's no one like us. Why? Because we are the name called people. Now, I, I love you all. I, I, I will do anything I can do to help you within my powers, within certain confines. But there's a lady back there that's called by my name that I'm in a relationship with that I'll bankrupt myself for. Why? Because she's mine. And, and redeemed uh, out of the hand of the oppressor, we become God's people. Uh, so go on your own time. Read Psalm 106, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, it starts out, praise ye, plural, the Lord. Again, the covenant name. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. You start reading that language, and what you'll find is it's insider, outsider language. May, who, sh, who can make good, uh, make show, show forth the, uh, uh, your praise? Uh, who can make good, uh, uh, make known the good of thy chosen? Thy, thy, yours, you belong. Who can do that? Only the name called people. You get to it and it starts talking about their history and how God, uh, even in their disobedience, God brought them out. How many of you know, uh, if there's any constant in the relationship, it's always Jesus. <laughs> how many of you have had some struggles? Hallelujah, all of us. But how many of you know you belong to God and, and he tripping and falling and you don't say, you get out of here, you, you aren't my son anymore. Uh, you, that, you pick that little boy up, you dust him off and you teach him to walk. And so, because we belong to God and it says, uh, Brother Herbst, then they, believe, then they believed his word and, the, and that's the conversion of Israel. When they become uh, the name called people. And then lastly, I have to hurry today, uh, do what I feel like the Lord wants me to do. The Lord's present. He promised to be present wherever his name was invoked or called. So when you go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, uh, it says, uh, Moses is uh, being approached by God, go tell Israel, I have seen, I have heard, and I am come down to deliver. How many of you are glad you have a God that can see and hear and come down to deliver? Now, brother, come on, what does it mean to come down? Isn't God omnipresent? Yeah, but we're talking about his covenant presence. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, we'll look at it. Exodus 3.14 says, uh, When they ask you, who sent you? Tell them, I am that I am, uh, 
sent you. Now, now what does that mean? I share a yah in the Hebrew. Uh, it means I am that I am. Uh, uh, the Septuagint, unfortunately, translates this, Brother Herbst, to a passive statement of being, which is I am who exists. Now, that's a problem. Why? Because God wants you to know more than he exists. <laughs> He's saying I am that I am, and that's about as close as we could get to the Hebrew. But it's also I will be what I am. I am what I will be. God is saying if I've ever been something, I will always be what I am means if he's ever been a deliverer, he's always a deliverer. If he's ever been a way maker, he's a, he never ceases to be the God who's present to bring everything that he is uh, to the relationship of his covenant people. So I, I, I wish we had time to talk about it, but let, let's go to, I think we can do it a little bit. Uh, let's go to De- Deuteronomy. Uh, you can look at it on your own. The covenant name guaranteed this. You can see what we've already looked at in Deuteronomy. But Exodus 19, 5 and 6, God says it this way. Now, therefore, if ye will obey. That goes back to that covenantal pledging where you have to swear fealty to the high king. That's why Jesus say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not? Yeah, do not keep, do not the things that I say, his commands. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. Why? Because if I'm your high king, I ought to have some say in your life. He says, now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then, Brother Ridge, only then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Doesn't make you better than anybody. But it does mean that you're in a unique relationship. And anybody can get in this unique relationship. Anybody that wants to become the people of God. Whosoever will, let him come. But I'm telling you, there is something about somebody who says, Okay, God, I'm not self-directing my life anymore. I want to belong to you. He promises some things to those people alone. Why? Because he can only have that type of relationship with them. I'll try to stay on task. Now, it's interesting. When you, you remember the, uh, if you've read in the Old Testament, the prophets of Baal get into this showdown with the uh, false prophets, uh, uh, Elijah does with the false prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove, uh, 400 and then four, about 450. So it's actually about 850 prophets he's dealing with there. And, and, and remember, they try to conjure Baal. They shout Baal, Baal, Baal from morning to, and then I, I, I have hope of being saved, Brother Faulkner, because uh, Elijah starts making fun of him, kind of snarky, bad. I don't know that it's a bad attitude. It's in the scripture, and I, I kind of have that in me a little bit. I have to be careful. <laughs> so I think I have hope of being saved, Holly. So uh, uh, I, I, when you look at it, they're trying to conjure Baal. Now, what are they doing, Brother Sleva? They're, look, they're trying to, they really thought, if I know the secret name of the deity, I can invoke it and go through certain ritual practices and conjure the deity. They have to act. That's not the relationship we have with God. God refuses to be conjured. He's saying, if you walk with me indeed, then you will be a peculiar people unto me. If you ask, Jesus said this way in the New Testament, if you ask anything in my, you mean he's the king that's directing even your asking. That's when you get in alignment with the kingdom. That's when you get in alignment with his will. We don't command God. We don't conjure God. When the king has authority, though, and he says, there's some things I'm going to do. 
You can take it to the bank. Why? Because he is the king of kings. Nothing is higher than him. And that's why Jesus says, I'm working because my father's working. And whatsoever the father doeth, that's what the son does. And we're not more powerful than Jesus. But you ready? When the king gives us a word that is from the kingdom, that means all of heaven is on our side. But I'm, right? So we, God won't uh, be conjured. Uh, so we have to walk in covenant with him. Give me that next slide, Sister Sheila. Thank you very much. So it says, what does it mean when we, when, when we talk about the presence of the Lord? The Hebrew word is panim, and it's literally before the face of. I'll give you a, this contrast. It's interesting. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, 26, you have people calling on the name of the Lord or, or being called by the name of the Lord, and that's God's covenant presence. But then the Bible says, uh, in that same area, that Cain left the presence of the Lord. Now, Brother Marty, how do you leave the presence of an ever-present, omnipresent God? Well, there's, a, there's at least uh, four different ways. Uh, we could subdivide it further, but there's at least four different ways that the Bible describes God's presence. Uh, it's his omnipresence. Whether uh, the psalmist says, where, where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I flee, he says, I can't get away. And that's omnipresence from your omnipresence. Now, but there is something particular uh, called uh, the covenant presence, where two or three are gathered together. Not everybody gets that. Only name called people. Only those that are owned by God and redeemed by God are promised his presence in that way. Uh, so what does that mean? It means when Cain left the presence of the Lord, he left the place where people were being called by the name of the Lord, were owned by God, directed by God. He went out and formed his own little city and he left the presence of the Lord. Well, what's the fourth one, Brother Kilman, just for you ADD people? Uh, it's where God can come in judgment. Now, I, I know, I don't get panicked. Don't panic on me. But how many of you ever needed the Lord to come by and do some stuff? Lord, this is bigger than me. I need you to show up, and he, he can do that. Uh, he got, as Brother Moody preached a long time ago, God rides on a swift cloud. All right, so let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. What you'll find then is repentance is critical because what happens at baptism is we swear loyalty to God. That's why the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God, what? In vain. Vain means empty. You can't make, you can't make that claim empty. Now, I, 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 know, uh, I know there are sometimes people think if you stub your toe uh, and say, oh, Jesus, that somehow you've taken the name of the Lord in vain. Or, or however you want to do that. Now, I appreciate that. I think we should treat the name uh, sacredly. But that's not what the Bible means about taking the name of the Lord in vain. It means to say that you're the name called people, that you belong to God who's redeemed you, but you don't want him to be your king. He says, uh, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You can see it in Romans 2, 24, where Paul is talking to the Jewish people, trying to provoke them to jealousy uh, because of the great revival uh, with the Gentiles. He says, for the name of God is what? blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, covenant people, Israel, uh, as it is written. What is he saying? You're saying that you represent the God of the Old Testament, the God of the scriptures, and you're living in ways that defame, make empty that claim. And, and by that, you blaspheme the name of God. Have you ever heard somebody say, 
No, no, I'm sure. I mean, it's probably only happened to me. I'm sure it's never happened to you. You ever work in a job somewhere? Thank God, not IBC, just so you know, just for clarification for the folks. But, you know, I worked construction for many years, and every once in a while, I I hear somebody say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, don't say that. Because it's not going to help the name of Christ for that person who's living in ways that demonstrating they're not Christian to call themselves a Christian. Right? And, and, and it defames the name of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, Paul writes to his son of the gospel, Timothy, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I wish we had time to talk about Yadah, but we don't. How many of you are glad that God knows who's his? And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, what? Depart from iniquity. Live in covenant loyalty. Be willing to give up your sin to get into the right relationship. By the way, has sin ever helped? Sin didn't help me. It put me in bondage. It had me uh, addicted to things that were uh, outside of the blessings of God. It, I know how quickly Bobby Kilman can wreck his life and wreck his marriage. I, I know what this carnal flesh can do. But when I surrender to the high king, when I give myself to the ruler of the kingdom, he gives me more than I can ever build into my own life. I found, I found that when I walk with him, that my marriage is better. That my relationship with my son is better. My relationship with other people is better. Why? Because what? he gives me will only bless me. Well, all right. Now, we're, we're almost at the end of the first session. Give me that next slide. At the end of the Old Testament, what's interesting is people quit saying uh, the name of the Lord. Uh, they, they did it uh, kind of in a mistaken notion, if you'll forgive me this for this. The Zadokite uh, priesthood, the Zadokites, begin to say that you couldn't say the name of the Lord, uh, Mom, because uh, it had to be uh, only the priest, and you don't want to take it in vain. And, it, and they ended up not saying it uh, uh, literally. And it, and it was a corruption by Greek philosophy because uh, I, I'll try not to get too far down that road. But Plato would say you couldn't even call God God. You had to say Nous, which is the one, that's the best you could. You can't speak about what God is. You can only speak about what God is not, really. And so you can't even name God. So to become more palatable to their culture, we're not the only church that's ever tried to face cultural compromise. They tried to make some accommodations, and it bled into their way that they, these covenant people would not even say the name of the Lord. Right? And so uh, uh, it, it, it took a revival to bring that back, but it, we'll, we'll talk about that later. All right, now let's talk about invoke, invoking the name of the Lord in the New Testament, seeing the paradigm uh, of the New Testament. Now what's fascinating is uh, in the New Testament, the name Jesus is the guarantee of the new covenant. Now, I have to do, I have to do some work here because uh, the name Jesus is the same name of God in the Old Testament. Uh, just, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, it's reconfigured to add a dynamic of salvation. Uncle Don, what that means is when you look at Jesus, it means the Lord saves or Yahweh has become my salvation. It's, it's the same name of God that was called over people uh, in the uh, Old Testament. Uh, and, and it's invoked at baptism. As a matter of fact, when you look at the book of James, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called. Now, that word called there is epikaleo. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's just Greek. Epi, uh, Sister McFarland, means uh, upon. Kaleo, I called. Don't they blaspheme that worthy name upon called you? 
And so I, I had a mentor of mine that was uh, talking about this at a particular place, and he had a friend there that was of a different persuasion. And uh, he said, uh, that's such a weak argument to say that James is talking about baptism. And he says, oh, he says, well, what translation do you have in your hand? He says, I have the New Jerusalem translation, which is, you know, uh, built on some bad manuscripts in some places, but has a really wonderful, uh, Brother Denny, uh, approach to understanding it from a Jewish mindset. And so he said, read it in the New Jerusalem translation. He says, do not they blaspheme that worthy name call over you. <laughs> Checkmate. Now, what does that mean? It means that name of Jesus called over you is just like uh, in the Old Testament. And to have the name of Jesus invoked or called over you in baptism means the same thing it means in the Old Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Acts 15, 17 shows that it means ownership. He quotes Amos 9. That, they, uh, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Imagine that, that God is, we are, we, uh, the Bible says it this way, we who are in times past were not a people. We had no claim to the heritage. We had no claim to the covenant process, uh, promises. We who are in times past were not a people. Has he made a people. Brother Marty talks about those that were near and those that were far. The near were the Jews, but they had to come to Jesus. But those that were far were not left out. That's us Gentiles. We are been brought together of the twain, Paul says. He made one new man. Now we're all the seed of Abraham by faith. We have the promises of God. Why? Because we were baptized in Jesus' name. That name was called over us and we became his. It also means redemption. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. How many of you know you have a B.C. history? <laughs> and such were some of you, but ye, plural. Notice that. Every one of y'all, as mama would say from Tennessee, ye is plural in the, in the Greek, and it's reflected there in the King James by ye. Uh, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. How are you washed, sanctified, and justified? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You cannot be washed, sanctified, and justified unless you have that name called over you. But if you've had that name called over you in faith and you've sworn loyalty to the high king, then you're washed. Doesn't matter what the devil tries to tell you. You're sanctified in that moment. You started a journey that's going to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. And you're justified, just as if I'd never sinned in the sight of God. That's why you can come boldly to the throne of grace. How many of you thought, I just don't feel like I, I, I'm worthy? Nobody's worthy. But we're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Third, the Lord's presence. John 1, 14, and the word Logos, the plan and the mind of God from the beginning was made flesh and dwelt among us. You shall have a son and call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. So what does it mean to be the name called people? John 14, 14. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, see, in my name, if you got that Old Testament understanding of what that means, you got to be in belonging to, Brother Scott, that name. That's why when, when you look, it says, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not a, forgive me for this, that's not a Billy Graham crusade. You got to go to the Old Testament. You got to understand that that's an idiomatic way of saying, whosoever is called by the name of the Lord. 
Whosoever swears covenantal loyalty, whosoever comes to God and surrender, if you repent like that and you're called by that name, I promise you everything else is going to follow. That's why the Apostle Peter, and I'll, I'll close our first session with this. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a... We belong to him. We become his. We're owned, but we're redeemed. We're redeemed and and purchased uh, back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, And he promises his presence. His abiding fellowship, but also his abiding empowerment. Why? That ye, plural, all of y'all, as Mama Kilman would say, should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Which in times past were not a people, but now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now you have attained mercy. How many of you are glad you get to be a part of the covenant people? Amen. Amen. We'll take a break, grab some coffee, and uh, we'll start session two in just a moment.